Amber and Amanda here. We'd like to introduce you to the newest podcast, Article 15, produced by Veterans Drinking Vodka Production and hosted by our good friend, Ryan Brazel. Article 15 is attempting to bring both awareness and an end to 22 veterans committing suicide every day. Ryan speaks with everyday veterans with everyday issues for veterans acclimated back into civilian life. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Amber, what are you drinking today? I am totally slacking lately and I'm just drinking Keystone Light. You're old faithful. Old faithful. Maybe we'll get a sponsorship by them. It's, it's always a possibility. Always, always. Well, what are you drinking, Amanda? I am drinking just some plain old vodka with some pineapple juice. I'm slightly disappointed in you right now. A little bit. Oh, but I do have for like the halfway point. I have some 99 grapes, and all right, I'm gonna chase it with ginger beer. Of course, you are. You and your ginger beer. It is so good. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. I'm I'm going to have to try it, but I'm not trying it until we're together. You're going to be so mad that you waited so long to try it. Uh, Possibly. But you said it's like a little spicy. It is a little spicy. Just like you. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell them. We have found being a service member can be easy, but being a veteran can be hard. In this episode, we are talking to Sabrina Chatura. She served in the United States Navy from 2013 to 2019 as a linguist and an Arabic translator. How are you doing today, Sabrina, and what are you drinking? I am doing really well today. I'm just drinking some coconut water, some refreshing coconut water. <laughs> I, I can't do, I can't do I have tried I, I don't. I've tried it. I've tried different brands and mm-hmm. it sounds so good and so refreshing. And like you would think that it would be something spectacular. And then when you take that sip and it's not what you want it to be. <laughs> if you have a Whole Foods near you, they sell this pink looking coconut water. I forget what it's called, the brand, but it's baby coconuts. And that by far, even coming to Australia, like I would say it's the best bottled or containered coconut water besides obviously sticking your straw right into a coconut. That one, if you haven't tried it yet, give it a try. Just it's okay. it's not like your normal coconut water. So I'll it's try. Really good. Yeah. I'll try. I mean I can drink out of a coconut. <laughs> That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't bother me. Or like fresh coconut and stuff doesn't bother me. But like the, the coconut bottle. water that you, it's, it's, I want, and every time I want it to be so good and it's so not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's different. Each, each brand you. tastes different. Yeah. So I get that. We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD. 
their website www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. All right, Sabrina, can you tell us where you're from and a little bit about how your journey started? Totally. So I'm originally from Minnesota. I was born and raised in Minnesota in the Midwest. And then I went to college there and I social science, which was with the intention to pursue like marriage and family therapy or counseling, or you guys still like social science with the intention to do like marriage and family therapy or counseling didn't want my master's yet. I just wasn't keen to like keep going in school. So within six months of graduating, I spontaneously went to the recruiter office and joined the military. It wasn't like a premeditated decision. It wasn't like a childhood dream. I even have military members in my family. My father was a Marine. My grandfather was Navy. I have Navy, two cousins in the Navy, but I still didn't consider it until the day I like just decided to go to the recruiter. And yeah, it was a quick and spontaneous decision within three months of going to the recruiter. I shipped for boot camp. What made you join, choose on the Navy? I, I mean, I'm getting the, uh, the spontaneous part of it, the spontaneity, but why the Navy? And then, and then why and how did you get to the linguist role? I mean, in Minnesota, I'm sure there's not very many people that speak it. <laughs> no, yeah. So the Navy, when you walk into the recruiter office, there's four doors, like, and the Navy was the first one. <laughs> That's literally why it was the first door. And so I walked in there and I was like, hi, I'm just curious about this military thing. And he was like super excited. He was like, okay, sit down and take this practice ASVAB. And I scored well enough on the ASVAB that he said to me, you could do any job that you want except being a linguist. And I was like, well, wait a second. I already speak French Italian in college before I decided on my major in family social sciences, I was going to be a French Italian major. Like I already loved languages. So when he told me that I could do it except for that, I was like, wait, what? I want to do that one. And he just was explaining that I had to go take a second test in order to see if I was, if I had the aptitude to learn a language. And so I was like, I want to take that test. And so we went to MEPS and I took the real ASVAB and the D-LAB, which is the test that you do for like seeing, it's called the defense language aptitude battery. So it's like a test to see, could you pick up a language? I scored well enough on both of those that I didn't even look at any other job. Like I didn't even become aware of all the other jobs that the military had until I started deploying and meeting other people who like weren't in my A school. <laughs> so it was a really, it was all spontaneous, but also quite like concise and orchestrated. Like it wasn't like a convoluted process. It was just like, all right, you're meant to join the military as a translator. And I was like, okay. And I well, chose Arabic in boot camp. Yeah. Right. So I, I didn't speak not Arabic before. No for an answer. I know. He was like, you can't, can't do that. I was like, mm, excuse me? What do you mean? How do we fix that problem? Yeah. Can I ask more about that? But yeah. So then in boot camp, they have you pick your language. And I think I had to choose between like Korean and Arabic. And I just was like, oh, I think Arabic. And then I got to spend the first chunk of my military in California because that's where the A school is. So I where where in California is it? Having a really cool A school experience. Yeah. Monterey in Monterey, California. 
So she got to spend yeah. her first part in fancy California. Yeah, right. I probably never oh, would have uh, chosen or afforded to live there if it weren't for the fact that the military put me up there. Right there. Know? I mean, that's how I felt about being in San Diego. Totally. If I yeah. been there. Yeah, unless I was in the military. So, what an experience though, going from Minnesota to yeah. well to Chicago for boot camp, but then California. California. Yeah, because Chicago is familiar because it's still the Midwest. But right. then I had never left Minnesota yet, so I was 21 when I joined, and I was like, okay, time to just leave t- entirely. Like I'm just leaving Minnesota all the way behind. Right here we go. After A school, what were your duty stations? And then did you have a favorite place that you visited? My main duty station, because with the linguist job, they kind of, they put you up for a four-year contract with a contingency that if you pass A school, they add another two years onto your active duty contract. So because they invest so much time in teaching you the language and putting you through the training, they still want to get their four years out of you. But four years is also only enough time for one duty station. So I was stationed for my whole time in Fort Gordon in Georgia, which is in Augusta, Georgia. And it's an army base, actually. I I definitely had trainings all over. Like I was in San Diego. I was in Washington State. I was in Spokane Spokane near Seattle and Whidbey. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely got to travel a lot. And then when I got to Georgia, I was a part of an air crew shop. So I deployed five times to Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, and Greece, and Djibouti. Mm -hmm. So I got to see some pretty awesome places. Did you have a favorite? I would say, honestly, as far as like foreign bases go, I mean, a incredible experience. But as far as like the Middle East and just having like a cool experience with that, Qatar was actually one of my favorite places to be deployed to, like as far as a lot to do. And I have really good memories there. And so I don't know if you guys were ever in LED, but uh, that was like a really, really cool place. Yeah, I never got to go to Qatar, but I've been to Kuwait and I've been to Dubai. Dubai is one Mm. of my favorite places. Yeah, Qatar and Dubai are very similar. So you probably understand like, yeah. 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 And it was cool because everything was in Arabic and English. Like it was very Western, but still very Middle Eastern. And so it was was kind of cool in that respect. Totally. Do you have a favorite sea story that you can tell us? Okay, yes. This is, I haven't told this story a lot since it happened because in the aviation community, as you guys may or may not know, aviators can get call signs and they're usually derived from stories that like aren't very flattering for the person. And it's not even the story that I'm like so ashamed of, but it was like, this the call sign that I got was inaccurate. I was like, that's not even what I did. And so a lot of my friends wanted, it was interesting because I had deployed first with a squadron as like a guest to their crew. And then I deployed the rest of the times with my own squadron. And so no one remembered or knew what my call sign was. So now I'm finally putting it out there. So all my friends who wanted to know back then, if they listen to this, will now know what my call sign was because I kept it on the down low long enough. But I don't know if she's going to promote or she's not going to promote her episode now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that I'm out of the military, I'm Sabrina again. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to 
give the story away now. So it was on my first deployment. I was in Kuwait and on, they would kind of rotate us through either you were like one of the active flyers or you were on watch duty because the schedules were the opposite. So I was on watch duty where I was like doing like, you know, 10 to six, like 10, 2200 to 0600, like watches overnight of our spaces. And it was a pretty chill watch. Like by no means, we, I wasn't even in uniform. Like it was just a building that we just had to sit in and make sure no one like got in. Those overnight watches are always super chill usually. Yeah. And we had like this hard drive connected to this laptop that had a, a ton of like movies and stuff. So I was like pretty chill. So one night in particular, I was there with my LPO and I was like, you know what I really want? I want a hot chocolate. I think that'd be amazing. And we had one of those like water heaters and the water heaters, like where it's like that metal coils, like in the the bottom, like you pour the water in and then you just like click it and it like heats it up with that metal coil. Right. So I don't know if this is true of everyone else, but hot cocoa tastes way better with milk than water in my opinion. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to make a hot cocoa. And I was like really excited for it. And then he was like, oh, cool, cool. And he was my LPO. So I'm like, he's the wiser one in the room. So I asked him, I was like, do you think if I put milk in this thing, it'll be okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. That would be fine. Like he didn't really give it much thought, but he did approve it. So my LPO, in my opinion, sanctioned my decision to put milk into the the heater and to make myself a hot cocoa. So I just want to put that out there. So I, I put the milk in there and I click it on and it starts heating it up. And then all of a sudden it was like getting like yellow and like, it just very quickly I realized I had made a mistake. Like it was not going well. And I wasn't going to get my hot cocoa that I wanted. And I was super bummed. So I was like, Oh no, I was like, this is, I made a mistake. And so I turned it off and, and tried to pour the milk out. And what I realized was that coil had actually been like burning the milk. And then it was like the coil thing itself got like super rusted. And like, it just like, was clear at that point that you're not supposed to put anything besides water in those things. And so I was like already bummed because I was like, I don't get my hot cocoa. And then I was like, oh no. So now I was trying to put water in it to see if I like completely broke it and it would still heat it up. But there was like now rust and like flakes and just whatever. And my IT, the girl who like lives in that office space, she makes herself teas like every day. So I was like, oh my gosh, like she's gonna kill me. Like I just ruined her water heater. And so of course my LPO did not have my back and he put me on blast with my crew and was like, she she broke the thing, she did it, whatever, whatever. And so the call sign that became of this was they were like, they started calling me Curdle. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I was like, I understand that I made a mistake, but I did not curdle the milk. I burnt the milk. But then I had to really think about it because burnt milk is like BM. And I'd rather not have like BM be my <laughs> call sign because people could maybe think that that's something else. So I had to kind of embrace curdle, but it was so frustrating because I was like, he told me I could do it and I didn't even curdle the milk. And then the girl had to like go out into 
because we were in Kuwait at the time, she had to like go hustle this guy because we weren't allowed to leave the base at the time. So she had to hustle this guy to get a new water heater. So he had to like bring one from off base. It was like this whole ordeal. And then when they got it, they wrote in big letters like water only. And then on the <laughs> bottom of it, they wrote like no milk. And I just like had to like live with this for the rest of my and like deployment. And I was just like, come on. Like I didn't even curdle and I think that's when you get your call sign more solidified is because they're like, all right, surely hates this perfect. We'll call her Curdle. Perfect. It'll stick so forever. That's my call sign. Yeah. Now people can know, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I'm out of the military now. So second, everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers to Curdle. Yay. Cheers to Curdle. <laughs> and burnt milk. Mm. Um, BM. It'll forever be BM. better than BM. Yeah, yes. right. I, I I took my victories where I could, and yeah. and I made a lot of mistakes on my first deployment. So if that's the one that stuck and the one that stands out, then that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. I could always. Oh, be my face first. hurts right now. My <laughs> face hurts from like just thinking about the whole the whole Amber, thing. Did you did you ever get a call sign on the boat? Amanda. <laughs> I was on the boat for two months, two months and twenty four days, and our only deployment that we ever went on for me was to Santa Barbara from San Diego. <laughs> I mean, that's enough time. <laughs> no, I think all you have to do is one small mistake to get a. Call. I'll tell you what, though, I can only right. imagine what my call sign would have been. <laughs> it just means you didn't get caught doing the silly things, or you were only with a friend who wouldn't rat you out like my LPO did. So, correct. <laughs> yeah, That's terrible LPO. What's your? No. What was your LPO's name? Let's throw that out there, right? No, what I definitely can't do that. <laughs> I know him no, no. or her, right? Right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I so still cool. have enough military in me to know that I can't do that. <laughs> oh, she wasn't a rebel. No. Some people are like, like, boom, this is who did it. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I was like, we've had a couple. Yeah, we've had a couple, the but like called them out. Sailor. Oh, yeah. shoot. Yeah. Nah, I was. Time, so. My leaders were lucky to have me. I was obedient, but that's why I had to get out because I was like, I'm too obedient for this life. I need to start listening to myself. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So speaking of getting out, eventually everyone does get out and they do become veterans. How was your transition from being in the military to going back to civilian life? So the interesting thing is as much as I, cause a lot of people, like I said, it was really spontaneous to join the military. So not a lot of people, a lot of people were shocked when I joined the military. And then when I was in there, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, she's going in for 20. Like she's making her way up the ranks. She, I, I was, you know, like the junior sailor of the year for 10th fleet one year. And so it was like, all signs were pointing to like this girl sticking for 20. And I was starting to get kind of further into it because they were starting to open up positions for females to do like special forces and work alongside the SEALs. And I was like, you know, I'd be closer to the things that are really hard about the military for me, which is like the actual war part. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's, it's one thing when I'm doing things and I kind of don't perceive myself as that person, but can I get closer to that part of it? And I was like, you know, I'm really not a war fighter. And I was like, if I can't be close to it, then does that mean I can be a part of it at all? So I was set up to go to this screening and just a few months before it was happening, I just 
I declined the screening. I said, I withdrew myself. And I was like, I think, yeah, I'm making my decision to get out of the military. And I shocked just as many people by getting out that I probably did by joining in the first place. It was really important to me for me to follow my own heart and follow my own inner guidance and just to stay true to myself. And so the transition was actually... The decision and the transition itself, I would say, was actually not the challenging part. It was more about like unraveling the parts of me that had kind of been like conditioned and aligned with the military. So one of the questions I kind of had to ask myself was like, okay, now I don't have anyone outside of me telling me what success is, like success is doing this, ABC. I was like, so what actually is success to me? Like what feels successful? Is it, you know, like achievements? Is it following my heart? So I had to kind of like redefine the parameters of like when I believed I was doing the right or wrong thing for myself or like the good thing for my own personal life. So the transition just involved a lot of that, like getting to know myself again and kind of just extracting my identity from the military, which is still an ongoing process, to be honest with you. Like, because we go to boot camp, they break us down, they build us back up, they give us this experience, they give us this camaraderie, and they give us so many beautiful things. And I've learned so much about myself and leadership and confidence being in the military. But then, you know, you get conditioned to, to someone else tell you what to do and to make decisions that are best for the group. And, and so it's like those things that have been more of kind of like an inner journey of exploring that within myself. So I'd say like, that's been like the hardest part of the transition is just extracting my identity from the uniform. That is such that's a hard been, thing to do. It is. That has been one of the things, the more people that we talk to that not necessarily have mental health issues or PTSD or, or things like that, that are super serious, but just the fact of what do you do after you were told to do something Mm -hmm. after you were given a guideline, after you were told, okay, this is where you have to be at this time. This is what you're going to do at this time Mm -hmm. and how to really live like a civilian where you don't have, yeah, your work, you work from eight to five. So you're expected to be at work from eight to five, but Mm -hmm. you don't have someone saying you have to be here at 8am. That's just what you do. But to have someone telling you to do that and coming from the military where yes, you're accountable because someone is holding you accountable the whole time versus civilian life where Mm -hmm. If you don't show up until 8.20, is someone going to make you give them 25 push-ups, 100 push-ups? Is someone going to make you run? Is someone going to be in your face because you weren't there on time? But we're seeing that that is becoming a common thing. And then on the flip side of that also is learning how to re-enter the workforce as a civilian and removing some of that maybe like bluntness or like straight to the point, a lot of people take offense to that that have not been in the military. And that's been a struggle for, I know me personally, but. Yeah, totally. I've definitely seen that in the. It goes kind of both ways on that aspect because you have to learn how to live within not having those strict rules or those strict guidelines. And then also you have to learn how to remove yourself from that harsh environment and kind of, 
soften to your environment as well while still motivating yourself to stay in that environment. Totally. Yeah. I've totally seen that in the veterans groups, just a lot of people because they don't have, like, it's easy when veterans meet each other because we already have that common experience. So we already kind of like don't have a block to each other. We're like, okay, like, I don't know exactly what your experience was, but we at least went through the military together. So I know that you know what that is like. And then it's hard with civilians. You know, we do, I think a lot of veterans see civilians who are like, yeah, like if they are just too relaxed or whatever, we're so conditioned to be like always on that when we attention to detail. Yeah. And like, we expect that so much of ourselves that we then therefore expect it of others. And that's something that I feel like a lot of veterans, especially when they are struggling with like mental health issues could kind of do is like, and is see their reaction to other people as how they're actually treating themselves. And then maybe there's a way to give more self-compassion and like, okay, I don't have to actually pay attention to detail to the detriment of my career or show up on time and risk, you know, it's, it's not saying to like lose those qualities, but it's like this thing that the military instills in us, the after thing, it's like, okay, you need this quality or else. So if we can find some breathing room around that or else we can maybe find like more forgiveness if we're accidentally late because of something, you know? In the civilian world, you don't have to be 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes. <laughs> you can show up on time and you're and good to go. Okay. You can yeah. show up five to 10 minutes late and you're good to yeah. go. Yeah, depending you on the don't, time of place. That's one of the things for myself that I, as a civilian, I fully embrace. If I have to be somewhere, I'm going to be late because <laughs> I can be. Not work-related. Not work but if I'm going to meet friends and I say, I have an ish, I'll be there at six ish, seven ish, because I don't yeah. have to be there at 630. I don't have to be there at 645. I can be there when I get there and it's okay. And that's, yeah. that's, that's me and that it's not okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Yeah. I have no forgiveness cheers for being to, late. Uh, cheers to being on time. <laughs> cheers to being on time. Or not. mostly. <laughs> ish. On time ish. <laughs> right. I always have an ish. But, right. but you have to learn that. That's one of the, as a veteran, like, because I don't have PTSD from deploying, I don't have those. I haven't seen trauma as a veteran, but you still have the the regimen. Mm -hmm. You still have the expectations from being in the military, no matter what uh, you did. You have to the that, even if you didn't go through it. Right. Totally. That carries over regardless of how much time you served or where you served or what you did. Because totally. you're And that's one of the things that I had to learn that I can I can be like I can give you an ish and it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's because that flexibility that civilians have because they weren't conditioned to have that rigid mindset. Again, it, it doesn't come from a place like we perceive it through the lens of the conditioning as like a shitbag sailor, you know, like we're like that person's right. a shitbag, like that person doesn't care, that person, whatever, when really it's just more of a flow. And I feel like one of the, the detrimental things about the military is because it's so rigid, it doesn't allow for like forgiveness and flow. And, and that's why some of the mental issues that a lot of veterans suffer from come from this idea of a rigid mindset, because it's not in that rigidity that we ever 
were able to experience maybe immense amounts of like forgiveness and compassion. It was always like correcting your behavior if it's wrong. And then we take that on and then we become like our own LPO in our head where we're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm shitty for being five minutes late. Yeah, exactly. When really it's like. I'm shitty for putting milk in the water. (laughs) (laughs) For burning the curdled milk. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. Maybe I won't advertise this episode. (laughs) We hope that you do. Um, I will. (laughs) So how are you doing now that you are kind of leveling out and figuring out your way? Because you're kind of a newer veteran, correct? You got out in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the very beginning of 2019. So I'm about to hit my two-year mark. Like the last day I wore a uniform was December 10th of 2018. So I'm like about a month away from hitting my two-year mark. I am doing in some ways like so well. And then in some ways I'm like still processing stuff, (laughs) but I think that's the journey. Exactly. I was literally about to, yeah, exactly. You're right on that same wavelength. Yeah. I, I started my own business this year, which has brought so many like fulfilling moments and also challenges. And my business is running like workshops and working with veterans and active duty because I am really passionate about about the mental health, the suicide rates, the trauma, both sexual trauma, PTSD from deployments. And I just feel like, again, there can be permission for veterans to breathe a little bit of forgiveness and flexibility into this rigid mindset that we were all conditioned to have. And so I started a business and it's really exciting, but it's also really challenging because I'm still processing stuff as well as like the people I'm meeting, you know, I'm still met with some of those walls and those rigid, you know, mindsets and stuff. So in a lot of ways, yeah, I feel really grateful because the main thing I feel like I'm doing really well is following my heart and following like my inner guidance and letting that unravel my life for me instead of feeling like I have to have everything planned and have to know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do and how much money I'm going to make and all that. I'm kind of like working on doing the opposite of what the military is, which is just like surrendering your plan and just be like, I don't know what's happening. So yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at now with everything. That's exciting. Like it's scary and exciting at the same time. Yes. So (laughs) you actually don't live in the States anymore. Can you tell our viewers where you're at? Yes. I am currently located in the land down under, mate, with the wallabies and the koalas and the kangaroos and the guanas. (laughs) (laughs) If I would have done that in front of an Aussie, they would have said I did a terrible job. So I'm glad you guys got a kick out of that because I'm still working on my Australian accent. But yes, I on the Bobby shrimp on the Bobby. Actually, they're called prawns here, not shrimp. Prawns on the Bobby. Yes, let you know. (laughs) But yeah, so I live down in Australia now. Yeah, in our Meet the Host episode, the very first one we did, my sea story was while I was in Australia. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so when you get a chance, you'll have yeah. to check that out. It was a good one. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> so what made you go? Because I can ask this now. Yeah. I've been waiting for like 45 minutes to hear this answer. <laughs> um, why from Minnesota to Australia? What brought you and led you to go to Australia? 
Yeah. So when I got out of the military, so I don't know, I feel like every time I left a place, I got like a sense that of if I was going to be back or not. So when I left Minnesota for the military, I was like, you know, Minnesota, thank you so much for a great childhood. Thank you for college. I'm not going to move back here ever again. Like, I mean, I can't know for sure. Yeah. We can cheers to never wanting to live in Minnesota. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Look, I have nothing against Minnesota. I think it's a beautiful place and I am so grateful for my childhood, but I do not like the cold that much. I don't like the snow that much. So it's just not my thing. And that's okay. For some people it is. Cool. And so when I left Minnesota for the military, there was part of me that's like, cool, like this is a step in the direction of traveling the world, which is something I want to do. And then I got to travel the world both through my deployments and then through my time on leave. Like I would make money on deployments and then be like, I'm going to just take leave and go to Europe. Like, why not? And so I got the travel bug. And so when I first got out of the military, I road tripped around the States just to like be, you know, like that instant you get out and you're like, I need the most amount of freedom to do whatever I want. And so I was like, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving and I'm going wherever I want and it doesn't matter like no one can tell me yes or no I do that all <laughs> Is that the what time. You also did? like I'm always yeah. like oh I'm gonna go here this weekend or and people be like yeah, yeah it's so act. liberating and how are you like, doing that and I'm like oh no I just do it Yeah, it's liberating. Even the idea, this was another thing I had to kind of decondition myself was like I'm allowed to turn my phone off and I don't have to be reachable. Like that was a huge thing for me, like feeling like I had to be connected to my phone because someone had to reach me in case of an emergency or whatever. And I'm like, hey, sick. I can just turn that off and disappear off the grid if I want. But yeah, so I I drove around for a bit. And to be honest, since getting out of the military, it's been just kind of like, like when the, when the wind blows me gently or not so gently in a direction, I just try to be like, okay, I'll go. That's cool. And so I had last summer, summer of 2019, I settled for a bit in Seattle for the summer. I was living in a van. I was working at an REI and serving at a restaurant, like just super simple stuff just to like enjoy Seattle and just enjoy. I the, love the, every bit of it. I have, yeah. I have to ask you though, Sabrina. Yes. Were you in a van down by the river? <laughs> yeah, of course. And by the mountain and everywhere. <laughs> and I was sitting by a dock in the bay and all of those references. <laughs> so when I was in Seattle, and this is just kind of how I feel like my life pans out for me, the more I follow my heart, the more I like synchronistically meet people who are just become a part of the next thing. And so I met my two beautiful friends in Seattle who introduced me to like this healing work that I do, like inner work. And then I, they, the teacher of that healing work were hosting a retreat in Thailand and I was like cool I've been wanting to leave the country so I'm just gonna go to Thailand and see what happens and so I packed up all my stuff and sold the rest of it and did kind of the same thing with Minnesota where I was like I don't know when I'm gonna be back and I went to Thailand and then I was supposed to go to Hawaii and I it was cheaper to buy a ticket for some reason instead of going straight from Thailand to Hawaii it was cheaper to buy two one-way tickets, like to Australia and then to Hawaii. So I bought the first ticket from Thailand to Australia. And then it was like, 
the universe kind of whispered and was like, you're not going to Hawaii. And I was like, okay. So I just came to Australia and it was supposed to be just originally just like for a visit, but it just kind of felt like, no, you're going to be here for a while. So, and COVID has kind of worked in my favor in that regard, because since they've shut the borders down and they're not letting anyone new in, they're happy to keep, keep us here to keep spending our money here. So (laughs) yeah. Absolutely. So are you on a visa in Australia right now? Yeah, I'm on a visa. And and every time I, you know, every time the expiration has come up, I've been able to just reapply. And they're like, yeah, cool. Here, stay. Go ahead and stay. So I am hoping to get my residency at some point. That would be amazing. And to start working with maybe some veterans here in Australia and just kind of expand my business in that way. Uh, but really, I mean, I don't know what the future holds. I'm going to just, this lifestyle that I have now of just kind of like following where the winds take me has been working out really good. So I'm kind of committed to it. <laughs> you know, it took me 10 years to get there, but that's where I'm at right now too, which is amazing. That's why I'm so glad that you're talking about it because I left mm. the military and went straight to work for the railroad and grinded on the railroad forever. And then I kind of mm. had a spiral out and I got into some trouble and I hit my veteran rock bottom. And then when I came out of it, I was like, I don't want to be on that grind anymore. I don't want to do that stuff. So I started using my GI bill. I was kind of doing whatever I wanted. I was traveling, I was going to festivals. And then now I'm at a point where I'm making some passive income and some, some non-passive income to where I, my friend needed help in Arizona. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go hang out in Arizona for a couple months and help my friend or I have another friend that invited me to San Diego for Thanksgiving. So Friday I'm headed to San Diego for Thanksgiving and I'm just kind of floating all over the place. And then I pop back into Texas, which is my home of record, which is where my driver's like, I'll pop back into Texas for a couple months. And then another opportunity will come up for me to go somewhere else. So I'm off again, somewhere else. Don't leave me again. (laughs) She's like, come back. You just have to hang out for a little bit longer and then you can start coming with me. But you're living exactly the life that I've just started living. And it's yeah. like you said, it has been so liberating and so freeing. And I probably feel better than I felt in the 10 years since I got out of the service. Oh, amazing. Doing I love hearing that. Yeah. Instead of what I feel like I need to do. Yeah. I run a workshop for, it's called like rediscovering yourself. So it's about the idea of like, who are you outside of the uniform asking people who are active duty or transitioning or retiring, or they've already gotten out. I, I run this workshop to kind of ask them, I'm like, who are you when it comes to like who you actually are like in any scenario? And I, I think it's an important question to ask because a lot of people either will stay in the military or they get out and do the same thing or a similar thing that they were doing in the military because it's just all they know, but it's actually not fulfilling them or making them happy. Exactly. And so I, I love hearing that you're doing what's actually like fulfilling you now and following your heart because like, you know, you're more than just a piece of equipment in a system. You're more than just a cog, uh, whatever, like you're, you're an individual person here for a very unique reason. And so it's, it's fun to discover that about ourselves. Yeah. It's awesome. And now that we've got this podcast rolling, like now that opens up so many more doors to keep going down the path that I want to go down. Mm -hmm. Amazing. But I love hearing that you're kind of doing the same thing. And that, I don't know, that just makes my heart happy. 
Yeah, it makes my happy too for you, for you and for me. Yes. And um, Amber as well, right? Yeah, she's she's not working on her way to get to the same kind of journey. She's yes. she's got a couple of kids. She's got to finish raising, and then she, I'm going <laughs> to be joining me on my wanderlust way of life. But yeah, so that's that's kind of where the two of us are at, and that's a big reason why we started this podcast so we could have some more freedom in the way that we're living our life and also help people along the way. And yeah, amazing. So you talked about your workshops. Is there a place where people can go online to find your workshops if they're interested in those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a website. It's, you'll probably have my name typed out in the show notes because it's obviously like a complicated one. But I just, sabrinachachura.com. I can also be found on Facebook and Instagram and I'll advertise like I usually create like a Facebook event for my workshops the rediscovering yourself workshop I'm actually turning it in the process of turning it into a program and I predict that maybe by the time this gets out it'll be instead of a workshop where you attend like a specific time I'm actually trying to turn it into a program so people can work on their own pace because I find that a lot of people just struggle with being able to commit to like a time but if they have something they can work on on their own time it, it might work better especially for veteran minded people or active duty people so I feel like a couple people that maybe we've already interviewed would be interested um, in something like that yeah oh amazing yeah, so we'll yeah we'll keep pushing the word out some shout outs on our Facebook and our Instagram for you yeah. awesome <laughs> and we can, so do you have any advice for someone that is either just becoming a veteran or is currently a veteran from your experience from my experience and the the message that I try to bring through in my workshops and my work is just kind of I touched on it earlier. It's find some space for forgiveness for yourself. Find a little bit of flexibility and relaxation and and also bravery to just like follow things that might not make logical sense and just pursue your dreams and follow your heart and just kind of breathe some space into your life because I find that very easy to to be again like rigid just like the system of the military so I think my biggest piece of advice would be like to start you know that inner journey of you know who are you and what do you want in this lifetime now that you don't have anyone else that has to that you have to answer to except for yourself so that I think would be like the biggest piece of advice that's great advice yeah, absolutely. So if our listeners wanted to find you and not just your business, but if they're veterans that would like to contact you, totally find you. I use, it's my same. I just like socialize on all my social media platforms. And so it's Sabrina Chachura is on Facebook, Instagram, but yeah, so I'm, and I'm there and I just, even again, outside of my business, I just like talking and engaging people. So it's like, if my services and offerings are something that appeals to someone amazing, but if someone just needs someone to talk to or to share their journey with, I'm totally here for that as well. You know, cheers to you guys. Cheers to this awesome conversation. <laughs> Thank you. We've had so much fun talking to you today. Yes. Yes. All right, Amber, do you want to talk a little bit about the charity that we've chose to endorse this episode? Sure. So currently we are bringing about mental health awareness and the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day. And one of the number one supporters in organizations that help 
the veterans and the world recognize that is the Tilvahala Project. I have my bracelet. Amanda has her bracelet. We are also now selling some merchandise, which we'll put the link in our show notes as well. And a portion of those sales will be going directly to the Tilvahala Project. So if you're interested and you want to rock some veterans drinking vodka gear, it is now (laughs) available. And again, we'll put that link into our show. Supporting, supporting Tilvahala Project and supporting us and our mission and what we're trying to do. You would like to contact Amber or I directly. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. Or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Please reach out if you would like to be a guest on our podcast and tell your story. You can send us an email at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com, like Amanda said, or you can DM us on any of our social media platforms, except for Twitter. I've been, Amanda and I, I don't know how to work. Twitter. I do monitor Twitter, though. So if you do send me a direct message on Twitter, even we'll get though it. we're not active, we will get it. And we do publish, <laughs> thankfully, our publishing software that we pay for downloads directly to Twitter every time we submit an episode. So our episodes are going out on Twitter every week. (laughs) We don't spend a lot of time on there, but if you do send us a message on Twitter, we will get it. (laughs) We do monitor it, even though I don't utilize it that much. (laughs) We are not very good tweeterers. We're not tweeters. (laughs) We are not. (laughs) We do have it. And if you do send us a message, we will get it. All right. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. If we're doing good, bad, ugly, indifferent, if you like us, if you don't like us, keep it constructive, please. We're pretty tough. Your opinions, your feedback can only help us get better. Absolutely. And the more you comment and really leave reviews, it uh, helps our, what is it that they call algorithm. it? Our algorithm. It helps our algorithm and keeps us up in podcast world so that more veterans can find us and hear us and hear your stories. You can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom. Uh, we start at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we are yeah, hanging out, that- telling stories, sharing resources, and meeting new friends. If you want to know what it's like when you put a bunch of veterans together in an unscripted environment, this is your place to be. It's open to everyone, military, active duty, veteran, civilian. We just have to put the disclaimer out there that it is unscripted and we are an open forum for whatever anyone would like. To you never know what's going to happen on our after hours. I never know. <laughs> As always, and the reason why Amanda and I are doing this is to bring about mental health awareness and veteran suicide. And the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day. Yes, that number may fluctuate. It's all about statistics, but regardless, 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans speaking podcast. Yeah.